0: I had plenty of time to turn my mic on. I forgot to. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. We're just going to cover four verses this morning Ephesians 6 1 through 4. See, children learn to fear God. They learn to shun evil. They learn the power of biblical conviction. They learn. To love the Lord from the example of those whom they most love and respect. Now, it might be a friend, or it might be a neighbor, or it might be a teacher. But most often, it's either their mother or their father. Well, devotional writer Henry G. Bush once wrote in Our Daily Bread that when he was a boy, he would often work with his father during the summer months. They would leave home each morning. They would stop at this particular store where they would pick up a newspaper. And then they would go and they would read, work for a little bit. And when they stopped to take a coffee break, his dad would stop and, and read the newspaper. Well, one day, after arriving at work and having worked for a little bit, he had his coffee break and he realized when he went to open his newspaper that there were two, because they were very thin that day. And so, after a moment's thought, he decided he needed to return to the store and go pay for the extra paper that he accidentally had had brought home. And he said, this is his father, said, I don't want the owner, the owner is not a Christian, I don't want him to think that I am dishonest. So about a week later, there were some expensive items that were shoplifted from that same store, and the police calculated the time of the robbery, and they determined that at the time of the robbery, there were only two people who were there. And one of those was Mr. Bosch, or Mr. Bosch's dad. And the storekeeper told the police, said, I know that John is honest. In fact, just last week, he came all the way back here when he realized that he had accidentally taken two papers. And so, uh, I don't think he would be the guy. And so, the police questioned the other man instead. The other man made a full confession, so they apprehended the culprit. And Henry later wrote this. Father's honesty, his Christian character, not only made a deep impression on the storekeeper, but his actions also left an indelible mark upon my young and pliable mind. Well, this Father's Day, as we're continuing our series on uh, the next generation, we're going to be looking at this idea of fathers and parents in general and their children Our passage this morning, as I said, is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Well, Ephesians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul in which he's he's concerned about applying the gospel to really all areas of human life. Uh, And Paul has explained in the first few chapters of how God has reconciled all of creation to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says he's creating a new people for himself out of people who were formerly enemies. And that's why if the book of Ephesians is a very relational book. In fact, somebody has said that Ephesians is essentially a book about relationships. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationships with other people in this new humanity that God is creating in the church. So, Paul says that the way that we relate to each other as the church is a demonstration of God's wisdom to angelic beings. And when the angels want to see how smart God is, they look at the church and they see the way the church cares for one another, and they see how the church relates to one another as people who have been redeemed by Christ and the power of God, who may otherwise have nothing in common. And so the gospel changes our relationships. The gospel transforms our relationships. And as we live under the influence of the Spirit, it changes the most intimate of our relationships, not only in the church, but also in our homes. And so the best way to transform your marriage, the best way to transform your family, the best way to transform your relationships with your children, the best way to transform your relationships with your parents is to be transformed yourself by the power of the gospel. Understand that what Christ has done, in Ephesians chapter 2 it talked about that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has redeemed us from the curse of death, from the curse of sin, through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've been changed by the gospel, then the gospel is going to change you, it's going to transform you, and therefore it's going to transform your relationships with other people. And one of those is the way parents relate to their kids and the way the kids relate to their parents. So before we get into that this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this great book written to us by the Apostle Paul and for your Spirit. And leading him, inspiring him to write these inerrant words. Lord, may we apply them to our lives today. Lord, your your word says that every word of the scripture is God-breathed. And it is beneficial for your people for training in righteousness. Lord, may you train us in righteousness in our family relationships and in our church relationships through this passage this morning. Lord, may your spirit go out and open our hearts, open our minds to what you have to say this morning. Jesus, holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Look with me beginning in verse number 1. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life In the land. Now we're going to stop there. We're going to read verse 4 here in just a moment. But first, we see the gospel changes the way that children relate to their parents. The gospel changes the way that children relate to their parents. The command here is really a simple one it's to obey. That's really the thrust here. Children, obey. Obey your parents because obedience is the law of childhood. As Paul's been describing the household relationships beginning in in chapter 5, one of these ideas that we keep seeing over and over is this idea of submitting to the proper authorities. And so Paul writes that wives should submit to their husbands as they would submit to God. Husbands should submit to God, and children should submit to their parents as is proper. This is the proper order of the universe. God is above all. But the father has been granted God's authority, and then the mother has been granted God's authority following the father. And then children are to obey all the authorities who are placed over them and not the other way around. So while this command is pretty clear, Paul goes ahead and and expands and clarifies on this idea. And so the first point that I want to bring out to you is the nature of the children's obedience. The nature of the children's obedience the child is to obey his or her parents in the Lord. The Holman translates it as, as you would the Lord, which I think is the idea that Paul's trying to get across here, that you are to, as children, obey your parents as if obeying the Lord, because God has granted them authority. Now, there's two reasons overall, and I, I kind of just gave one away, but the first reason is explicit, right? Paul quotes from, uh, from Deuteronomy, Honor your father and mother, the Ten Commandments. We're going to look more at that in just a moment. But God has already commanded that children should honor their parents. Part of honoring one's parents as a youngster is simply being obedient to what God has already said. But the reason that fits best with the flow of Ephesians is that this pattern that God has set forth for Christian living It is this idea of the proper flow of God's authority. God has set the parents as his representatives in a child's life. Think of it this way. As a church pastor, the pastor is called to be what we call an under-shepherd, right? An under-shepherd, meaning that Christ is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd. He's taking care of each of his churches, but he appoints men who are going to act as shepherds under his authority over the church. And so the church has an, both a shepherd and an under-shepherd over them because Christ has ascended into heaven for the time being. He's placed men who've been trained to lead the church, who've been uh, gifted to lead the church, to follow after Christ. In fact, the disciples went out and they they preached good news, they established churches, and they trained up men who would take over leading those churches when they passed on. So as the good shepherd, Jesus directs everything, and under shepherds, pastors try to lead the church to follow after Jesus. But the same idea is true for each of our families. God has granted parents His authority to be under shepherds over His children. The children belong to God. They're God's children, but he places them in the care of a mother and a father. But does that mean that every set of parents are going to be good, godly, righteous parents? Unfortunately, it does not. Because there are many, many that do not follow God's rules. But they are still given God's authority as parents. So children should obey their parents unless their parents are instructed them to do something that is against what God has said. Children should submit to the parents because by doing so, they are obeying God. In fact, to obey means to listen with submission. All right, so now we turn to the reason for disobedience. <coughs> Excuse me, the reason for children's obedience. Paul says that children should obey their parents, submit to their parents, because this is right. This is right. The word that's translated as right there could also mean just. It could mean righteous. And in fact, the last three chapters of Ephesians is focused on proper Christian living, spirit-empowered living, gospel living, So what does it look like to live right as a Christian? What does it look like to have a righteous life if you're a child? Well, for a child, it is right that he or she obey his or her parents. (coughs) Excuse me, earlier in this book, Paul wrote, "'Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth.'" testing what is pleasing to the Lord. And for children, it is pleasing to the Lord when they are obedient to their parents. Okay? So we've seen the nature of children's obedience. We've seen the reason for children's obedience. But now let's look at the basis for children's obedience. The basis for obedience is found in the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And here Paul quotes from Deuteronomy in verses 2 and 3. He says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. <coughs> to honor one's parents is to respect them. Now, it will include obedience, especially if a child is still in the home. And once a, the parents have gotten older, once the child has gotten older, part of it also includes providing for them when they can no longer provide for themselves. Even adult children should honor their parents, involving, among other things, continued respect, continued consideration, and continued care. Paul points out that this is the first commandment with a promise, and that promise is that you may live long in the land. This promise was originally made to the children of Israel as they were preparing to go into the promised land. Excuse me. (coughs) The promise assured Israel that they would possess the land for a long time. If their children continued to learn the law of God from their parents, they continued to obey their parents, they continued to respect their parents, they would be able to live in the land for a long time. But what does this mean for us as New Testament believers? What does it mean? We're we're not looking for this land idea. Well, generally, parents' rules are there for the children's good. It's there to keep them safe in one way or another. And so a failure to follow one's parents' rules could mean something bad happens. (coughs) Do you remember the story of Pinocchio? The story has been modified several times. There's a new movie out that's just been released. But Pinocchio follows the puppet uh, follows the puppet as the carpenter, Geppetto, carves him out of some magic wood, and sometimes this detail is a little bit different. He, he carves out a piece of magic wood. He creates this puppet who's given life, and he acts as his son. And watching over Pinocchio as he gets used to these new surroundings, are a talking cricket and a fairy who guides him. Talking cricket dispenses numerous pearls of wisdom, which Pinocchio does not follow, and the fairy guides him as he suffers in his poor decisions. Well, when Geppetto takes his son to school, Pinocchio, instead of going to school, sneaks off to go watch a puppet show, and uh, is kidnapped by the owner who's looking to add some new performers to its collection after running off later to pleasure island pinocchio is turned into a donkey and sold to the circus and of course whenever pinocchio lies we know what happens to his nose it grows the adventures of pinocchio was originally intended as a cautionary tale for young children about the dangers of disobeying your parents. Young people who recklessly ignore their parents' teachings about right and wrong, good and bad, are more likely to end up in an early grave. Could somebody bring me a Kleenex, please? Joan. that'd be great. By listening to their parents, children learn to avoid mistakes. Thank you. Children learn to avoid mistakes mistakes and have a better chance at living a better, longer life. So, gospel living, being transformed by the message of the gospel, and being empowered by God's Spirit, transforms our relationships between children and the way they interact with their parents. But look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Paul writes, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, the gospel not only changes the way children relate to their parents, but also changes the way parents relate to their children. Changes the way parents relate to their children. See, children are to obey, but the parents have a couple of commands here. Parents should use their authority that God has given them properly. And there is a distinct line of authority from God to the parents to the children. But all members of the family are responsible to recognize that God is sovereign over them, over their relationships, and requires that they would be faithful. And So the first command we see is do not provoke your children. Do not provoke your children. It's a negative command. Don't stir up anger in them. And to understand this properly, we must understand the way the Roman authority of the father works. See, for in Roman times, fathers had nearly unlimited authority over their children. Men during that time had many rights, but children could somewhat limit those rights, and so they could be seen as a nuisance because, first of all, children are expensive. Right? Anybody who's been a parent can't deny that. Further, for a man who may be seeking a divorce, either at that time or in today's time, having children involved makes them, made the matters more complicated. And so, uh, many men did not want children, just like today many men don't want children. But even if he did have children, the father's rights over the children would be nearly unlimited. In fact, a father could sell his children as slaves, he could make them work in the fields, even in chains if he wanted to. He could punish them however he liked, and he could even have the death penalty inflicted upon them. And that power extended over his child's life until he died, until the father died or the child died. A Roman son never reached this point where he came of age. His father had rights over him as long as they lived. In fact, the oldest living father in a family line was called the paterfamilias, and he had authority over his entire uh, offspring and their offspring down to however many generations were alive at the time. He had near total control over all of his family and what they did. In fact, when a child was born, they would bring the child and they would place him or her before the father. And if the father stooped down and and picked the child up, the child was accepted into the family. But if they laid the child down and the father turned his back, then that child would be discarded. The child would be either uh, left out uh, to be picked up by those who trafficked in infants and would be raised as slaves or as thieves, or for the daughters would be raised in, in brothels as prostitutes. And other times they were simply left to die. But this idea of parents not provoking their children to wrath, to anger, was in fact quite backwards for the culture of the time. The children were taught, you should not do anything that brings dishonor upon your father. And to do so could be met with the death penalty. Disobedience on a child's part could literally mean life or death, based on their father. And you know, many cultures around the world today still have some aspects of this as part of their culture. This honor-shame idea that if, if you shame your father, bring dishonor upon him, he can disown you, and you will no longer be his son. He will be dead to him. But the gospel of Christ elevates children. It shows that fathers have a a sacred responsibility to their children. The gospel completely overturns these cultural views, turning them upside down. In fact, the gospel directs fathers that they are to use their authority wisely to improve the lives of those under their care. But still, parents must make sure that the result of discipline is showing the value of the children. Parents should not Marginalize their children. They shouldn't diminish their children. They shouldn't make them bitter. Shouldn't make them angry by mistreatment or by insensitivity or by unrealistic demands. And there are many people who struggle with anger issues that stem from their parents' action toward them. In fact, it's almost become a joke that it's so common to say, "Well, I have daddy issues." The church must challenge parents to be a positive, godly role model in their homes. And the basis for this is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes that instead of provoking children, parents should instead bring them up in the Lord. And the key, Paul says, is to bring children up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We want to have a positive, godly household. And there are three key words in this single instruction that I want us to look at. The first is nourishing your children. Nourishing your children. The phrase, bring them up, is the same word, same phrase that's used in Ephesians 5.29, where the husband is told he must nourish his wife as he does his own body. So what does it mean to nourish? Well, to, to nourish is to provide what is necessary for proper growth, for proper health, and for good condition. So this same quality of care that the husband is to show to his wife as he treats her as Christ treats the church is also required of the father toward his children. Physically, children require proper nutrition to grow healthy and strong. The body needs a proper balance of vegetables and fruits, of grains and proteins, and And so, in addition to that, people also require a place of physical safety, some kind of shelter. Uh, And so the father is to provide for the physical needs of his family, but there's a greater need than that. The father is also to be the spiritual leader of his household. Every man is the spiritual leader of his family, whether he recognizes it or not, whether he accepts it or not. The question is, are you a good one or are you not? (laughs) Are you leading your family toward God or are you not? The greatest need that the family has isn't food or shelter, but is proper training in the Lord. So Paul writes, the fathers are not to provoke their children to anger, but they are to bring them up, to nourish them in a specific way. And what is that way? Well, the first way is that you nurture your children. Nurture your children. The, this, there's two nouns here. Uh, the first one is trans, can be translated as discipline. Uh, my version says bring them up in the training. It is the word paideia, from the word that we get pedagogy, which if you're a teacher, you know what that word is, right? Every teacher is trained uh, to require, when they're training, they're required to study about and then write out their own pedagogy. They're, what is pedagogy? It's the method and the practice of teaching. It's the philosophy, basically. How how am I going to do things? And this refers to the whole process, then, of training a child up from infancy into maturity, and part of that includes discipline. And so this idea includes both the negative and the positive aspects of training, and, and both are aimed at guiding the child's development in the right direction. The father is to correct the child in love, and part of that includes punishment. So while I spoke earlier about how the gospel has elevated children and that we're not to discipline them too harshly, some parents take this completely the other direction and say, well, if I don't want to discipline them too harshly, I'm just not going to discipline them on, at all. Uh, there is no discipline, and I, I, a lack of discipline shows one of two problems. One problem is, is idolization of the child. Oh, I love them so much, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause them to not like me, so I'm not going to give them any physical punishment. And then they grow without having any real authority in their lives, and when they become adults, they're not well-adjusted, and they think they can get away with whatever they want to because they were never disciplined as a child. The other aspect of that is that parents just show that they don't care at all. There's an apathy. I don't care enough to discipline my children. And then the same result happens. Either you care about the present situation of the children, not about their future, or you just don't care at all. Proper parenting requires proper discipline. It requires a correction of what is wrong, but it also requires a direction toward what is right. It's not enough to just punish and say, you you, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, and not ever say the right way to do it. It requires both, correction and direction. And this direction is summed up in the next word. This version says the instruction. Other versions say the admonition, to admonish your child. Admonition literally means to put in mind. So this instruction is this idea of that we're instructing them in the right way. It carries the idea of a warning. It's a somewhat negative word in the Greek. And the idea here is it's warning children about bad decisions that would lead to harm. So, taking these two together, this nurturing and this admonition, this training and instruction come up to make together the total training of the child. But notice the way that this is to be done. This is to be done of The Lord, the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, I think this phrase goes with both the training and the instruction. There's debates over does it go with one and not the other, but I think it goes with both. And God has provided for all parents a great instruction book in the Bible. You want to know how to parent well? Read Proverbs, read books like Ephesians see how you are to treat your children, how you are to raise them up. Look at Deuteronomy. There's great parenting advice, but the problem is you can't enact the things of Scripture properly if you don't have the power of the Spirit within you. There's great principles, but you can't consistently apply them in your own power. It requires the power of the Spirit to train a child up in the Word. God has provided the instruction booklet. He is the source of training children properly, and Proverbs gives us this general principle. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is not a promise. This is the book of Proverbs, okay? So, Proverbs are general principles to live by. If you Generally, if you do this, this will happen. If you Train them right. If you raise them right, then generally they will live right. But ultimately, each each person has to make their own decisions, so they may not. But I think this goes further. It says, raise them according to godly principles. And helping them to have a good life is important. But most important is teaching children about God. Famous pastor and author A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we must train our children how to properly think about God because it's the most important thought you'll ever think. You tend to move toward whatever mental image you have of God. So if you picture God as this long, white-bearded man on his throne that's like a grandfather, you're going to go towards that idea of God. Or if you have this idea that God is this wrathful being with lightning from his eyes and lightning in his hands, he's going to strike you down if you do wrong. You're going to gravitate toward that idea of what God is. In fact, you may say, well, I don't want any part of that God, so I'm going to go this direction. But what you think about God and what you teach your children about God is of the utmost importance. But here's the reality. There are many... Many, many households in this community right out these doors where parents are not training their children in how to think about God nor how to live according to God's principles. They don't think about God, so why would they think about training their children to think about God? There are many households around us where true love is not being shown to the children of the household. Maybe the the father's not present, either physically or mentally. Maybe neither parent is truly present. The child's just kind of there on his own. The parents do their own thing. The child does their own thing. But this passage speaks clearly to today's needs in any home where there is children. But I think it's also a good instruction for any community. And it's good instruction for the church. Because where parents fail, the church is to step in. It's the responsibility of the of the church to train parents and how to train how to raise godly, godly children. But it's also the responsibility of the of the church to step in and to minister to children where their physical families, their biological families have failed. We have a holy duty to reach out to children, to show them the love of God, to share the gospel with them, to share with them how to be saved. We have a holy responsibility to share with the children and the parents of our community the transforming power of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel doesn't just transform individuals. It transforms relationships. Maybe you're here today and You're in need of a transformation because you've never accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never had a moment where you said, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross and that he was raised from the dead to save me from my sin. There's never been a moment where you've repented of your sin and turned to Christ and said, I can't live a holy life on my own. I need you, Jesus, to do this for me. But when you do, it transforms you. And it transforms your life. It transforms your relationships. And it transforms your family. So in just a moment, we're going to have a time of response. We're going to all stand and sing. And if you need to make a, a decision to follow Christ today, why don't you come down, and I'd love to speak with you more about how you can be saved, and how you can receive the the Spirit of God to help transform you into a godly person. Because we can't do it on our own. It's only through Jesus. Let's pray, and then after we pray, if you would please stand.